So I'm going to make a guess that at some point over the last three weeks that you have felt emotionally and mentally exhausted. Can I see uh, uh, some hands up in the air? Yep, because I have, and I know if I've experienced it, I know you probably have, and I don't know about you, but I know when I get tired, okay, when I get tired, I generally end up irritable. Um, I can end up very critical. I can end up, you know, like if I don't get sleep, nobody wants to be around me, and my communication gets short. I, I become more results-oriented, and my family would just rather me go take a nap at that point because they really don't want to be around me. I, I don't know if you guys are big Walking Dead fans, but if you ever, if you, if you picture a zombie walking around every now and then, it's like, yep, sometimes I have felt like that before in my life of just... I, I am so exhausted and worn out that I just don't have the bandwidth for much anymore. Well, if you're here and you're watching, we are glad because we're in a series called The Hustle where we are talking about ditching the wheel and we're talking about really doing things that matter. And so I want to talk about getting rest today. And it's not something that all of us are like, oh, let's talk about getting rest. I mean, there's, yeah, there is a part of us that's like that. But, but we generally think, well, if I'm resting, I'm not getting things done, and I'm not making progress. So I just found some things this week that you know you're tired when. So I just want to share these with you because they really spoke to my heart, and I hope they will speak to yours as well. So you know you're tired when you're so tired, you're tired as tired. <laughs> like, I think, I think I'll just namaste in bed, you know. Um, so you know you're tired when it feels like four days past your bedtime. Have you ever felt like that? You know you're tired when you're not an early bird or a night owl, but some sort of permanently exhausted pigeon. <laughs> felt like that pigeon before, right? Just permanently exhausted. You know, you know you're tired when you have to remind yourself that it's just not worth the jail time. <laughs> it's like, if, if that's the question you're waking up answering every day, you need more than just a sermon on rest, right? Uh, you know you're tired when your mind is like an internet browser, 19 tabs are open, three of them are frozen, and you have no idea where the music's coming from. <laughs> I have felt that way before. I've walked into my office, and I'm like, my computer's locked up, but it's playing music. It's like, how does this stuff happen? Well, we are all tired at times, and the tired I want to talk about is, if it was just, you know, if God was just talking about us being physically tired, if that was just the problem, then we go have a good meal, take a nap, and have a good night's sleep, and we're good. But between me and you, I don't really think that's our problem. I think the problem that we feel is mental and emotional fatigue. Everybody say that with me. Mental and emotional fatigue. We all feel it. I don't know about you, but I feel it. I feel mentally and emotionally fatigued sometimes. And I'm like, all right, how can I make this go away? Well, I found some signs this week of signs of mental and emotional fatigue. You guys check these out. The first sign of mental and emotional fatigue is being delirious. How many of you ever laughed at something you never should have laughed at in the first place, right? Like, if, if you think sometimes your life is a dumpster fire and you laugh about it, you're probably delirious, right? I, I think we've all done that before. Uh, signs of mental and emotional fatigue. The second was lack of reflection. Like, you never really kind of turn around and go, man, what's been happening in my life, right? That's a sign of mental and emotional fatigue. Um, another one is if you've ever been confused, if everything just feels difficult in your life, if you've ever been confused and feel difficult, yeah, 
That's a sign of mental and emotional fatigue. How many of you have ever felt triggered before? Like you're already, like you're already at the edge, and it just takes one person at the office saying one thing, and you have, you're flying off the handle, right? You're like, you, you come home, you're already on the edge, this means that you get triggered and somebody, your spouse or your kid does something and all of a sudden you have lost it and they're looking at you like, who has come home through our doors, right? I think we've all been triggered before and when we get triggered, it's because we're probably not in a healthy place in the first place. And it just takes a little bit. Then all of a sudden we are flying off the handle because we're upset. And I think others of us in this room, a sign of emotional mental fatigue is you've hit a wall. And you just feel kind of numb. And it may be a wall that you've hit spiritually. It may be a wall that you've hit parenting because you're just not seeing progress. It may be a wall that you've hit financially. It may be a wall that you've hit vocationally where you want something else, but you don't really know what that is, but you're not really sure where to go. And you've just kind of lacked that enthusiasm that once drove you. And you don't, you don't feel that anymore. And you're just kind of numb. I think we've all hit a wall. Check out this quote that I found this week. Y'all, this is staggering when I, when I saw this quote, and it answers so many things. Robert Leahy, uh, who is a cognitive therapist, this is what he said. So the average teenager in America today experiences the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. Take a deep breath, and let's read that again. The average teenager in America today experiences the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. I have a friend who's a medical practitioner, and he was telling me that, yeah, a lot of his patients are on anxiety medication. This is real. This is real for us. We feel this, and I believe God has something to say to us about this situation. So I just kind of put this out also on my Insta story about a week ago, and I asked all my Insta friends. Um, I don't know if there's such a thing as Insta friends, but I asked mine, um, what, what makes you emotionally fatigued? And this is what they said. They said significant life change, like if you've moved or uh, you've lost somebody uh, that, that you've loved, a caregiver to an aging parent. Has anybody felt that before? Uh, a mom wrote, my kids, <laughs> my kids are doing this. Financial stress, friends and family passing away, juggling home, work, and school, a high-pressure working environment, chronic medical condition. Guys, here's the thing. Whether we are a Christian or not, we're going to feel this. And here's what I want to share with you today. I think Jesus has some powerful words to share with us for those of us that are carrying heavy burdens and that we feel weary, and he offers us something. Now, here's the good news. He's going to offer you something today, and you can take it or you can leave it, okay? A lot of us in this room are going to take it, but some of us in this room might leave it, and we may not take him up on his offer. But he's going to make an invitation for you, and he's going to make an invitation for me. And he's offering us something that can change our life. And I was, I was contemplating this this week, and I was thinking about this. And, I've, of course, I've, I've spoken out of God's word a lot uh, in my lifetime. But I don't think there's a bottom line that I've personally connected more with than the one that I feel like I'm getting ready to share with you today.
It has spoken to me more than I think anything I've ever shared before. So here's why I want you to listen. Because living purposefully requires rest. For you to accomplish the purpose that God has for you in your life, your body needs rest. Your mind needs rest. Your heart needs rest. Emotionally, you need to experience rest. You weren't built to be always on. And here's a, here's a, a phrase and a quote that I love, and it's a very popular one, but, and you probably know this, but fatigue makes cowards of us all. When you're tired, you are less apt to make more courageous and faith-driven decisions. You just are. And that's just the way that when, when we're in those bad places, we just generally don't make really good decisions. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. And we need to plan for how to deal with it. And the other thing I, I think I know about you, I know about me, is when we talk about rest, sometimes we struggle with it because oftentimes we feel lazy if we try or if we're trying to get rest, right? You know, our friends may say, well, it must be nice that you're resting today, right? And we're like, no, this is, this is a real part of life that we need to do this. When life gets busy, rest is generally the first thing that goes out the window. It goes out the door when life gets busy because you have to get things done. You've got to start moving, right? And it's also very, very difficult to check rest off the list. It just is. It's not one of those we can go check, done that, let's move on to the next one. No, it's more of a rhythm that I think God wants us to live. So Matthew, if you remember, he was a tax collector, and Jesus went to him one day, and he said, hey, follow me. And Matthew was hated by his countrymen, okay? He was hated by his countrymen because he was a tax collector, and he charged his own people, Jewish people, money for the government of Rome, and they didn't like him. His own people didn't like him. Rome didn't really care for him. He just worked for him. Of all people, Jesus walks up into his tax collecting booth and says, hey, come follow me. Not you have to or you should. Hey, it's just an open invitation. Come follow me. And Matthew does. So Matthew then later writes a book called the book of Matthew, and he writes something very powerful in this book to us because he records the conversation that Jesus had that Jesus gave to crowds of people where he offers them an invitation that is life-changing. It was life-changing for me. It still is life-changing for me, and it can be life-changing for you, especially in the area of dealing with mental and emotional fatigue. So let's get right to it. This is what Jesus said. Well, first of all, I want to explain to you what rest is first, because if we're going to talk about it, we need to define it, right? Rest, according to Webster, is to relax, refresh, recover, right? To relax, refresh, or recover. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like something that I would want, and I think you would want this too, to relax, refresh, or recover. So let's hear what Jesus says about this. So this is what Matthew records. He says, then Jesus said, so he's recording this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He says, come to me. He's inviting them. And he says, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Now, the history of this is that he's speaking to a group of people who felt a tremendous burden. And I don't know if it's the same burden you feel, but if you remember several weeks ago or so in our trilogy series, Pastor Jonathan talked about the second covenant, uh, covenant the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. Well, the Jews 
specifically in that time, they had to conform to 615 spiritual laws and the pharisaical interpretation of those laws. So every day they're asking the question, how do I get right with God? And the religious leaders would come to them and say, do the 615. And by the way, do them in such a way that we interpret those laws. And oh, by the way, we're not going to help you. <laughs> and so obviously Jesus is speaking to a culture now that is feeling the oppression and the weight of how am I going to do 615 and especially the way that you think I should be doing the 615. And it's impossible. We just can't do it. So Jesus is watching people who are undergoing weariness and a burdensome lifestyle, and he, he walks into their life. He says, come to me if you're weary and burdened. And you know what? I'm not going to be like the other religious leaders. I am different. I am offering you rest. Now, here's what I thought about when I started thinking about what are burdens that you and I carry in our life. And I don't know about you, but a lot of us are big control freaks, right? We're big-time control freaks, and we carry the burden of control over a lot of areas in our life. Maybe it's other people. Maybe it's circumstances. Maybe it's other people's perspectives. Or we want to control what is happening in our life and in our family and the choices of the people in our family and friends. And we carry that. And when it doesn't happen the way that we want to, we carry that inside here. And I think a lot of, I think God is inviting us. That's a burden that you weren't meant to carry. Another burden that I thought about this week as I was talking to some friends of mine is the burden of shame. You guys know anybody that carries a burden of shame? Maybe something happened to you at some point in your life and you don't even want to think about it. You, don't, you certainly don't want to talk about it. You don't want to relive it. And you don't want to even, you don't want to let others know about it, that it happened to you. You're so embarrassed and you're so ashamed and you're so frustrated that it even happened. And if somebody loved me, they wouldn't have, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you carry that. And it comes out sometimes in very, very level 10 conversations. Or sometimes you've, we've done something. And we've hurt somebody so deeply, and we carry that shame, and we can't get rid of it, and we just hold on to it, or, or the burden of worry. All of us are good at this. And we carry these burdens, and what I, what I know over time is I can hold a 10-pound weight like this for about, you know, a minute or two, and, I, and I'm probably okay. But you hold that same 10-pound weight for 20 minutes, guess what's going to happen to your arm it's just gradually going to, you're not going to be able to hold it anymore. And Jesus is inviting these people, and he's, he's inviting us. He's saying, I'm not going to invite you to a religion, and I'm not going to invite you to a system. I'm inviting you to me when you're weary and heavy burdened. And here's the other thing he, he tells us that I think is just fascinating. He says, Take my yoke upon you, and I'm going to get there with the whole yoke explanation. Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will have rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light. Now, y'all, I mean, no bones about it. I'm not a farmer, and I don't play one on television. Um, but 
here's what I know about the whole yoke situation, and here's what farmers would do. And Jesus is talking to a culture that was steeped in farming, so he's using an example that they're going to understand. If he was in our culture, he would use a different example, but if he's, he's talking to a farming culture, and this is what he's saying. He says, you know, you know how you train an ox to pull a cart you know, in that day you would have, and I've been to some first world countries and I still see this when I've traveled before, but you have this cart or this plow that farmers use to, uh, on their property and in their field to plant their crops. And then you have rope attached to a yoke over an ox, like a big animal, right? And a yoke is one of those things, it's one of those big wooden types of brackets that goes on the shoulders of an animal. And in that day and time, what, what Jesus is saying here is he says, there's a big ox, and the way that they would train the little oxes is, is, is they would say, or oxen, is it oxen? I think it might be oxen. And they would train the little ones as they would put a yoke on the little ones and a yoke on the big ones, and it would essentially kind of be the same yoke. And what would happen is the, the little one thinks he's doing all the work, right? I mean, he's just plowing up the field, thinks he's doing all the work, but who's really doing all the work? big ox because he's yoked together with the little ox and the big ox takes the brunt of the load of the cart of the plow and everything that he's carrying Jesus invitation for you and Jesus invitation for me is to come and put our shoulders together to be yoked together and this is what he knows He knows that his shoulders are a whole lot bigger than yours. And he knows that his shoulders are a whole lot bigger than mine. And at times we may feel like we're really carrying it when when really he's the one carrying the weight. He's the one pulling the stuff that we have a hard time letting go of. And this is his his invitation. He says, I want you to take my yoke upon me. What what does yoke mean? Why would he even say that? Is Jesus going to come and put a harness over our shoulders in the morning so that we, what what does this mean? The word yoke means yield. It means yield. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, I want you to yield to my decisions in my direction for your life. This is how you find mental and emotional health is when you let go your heavy loads, you, you let my yoke, when we're yoked together, I'm, my shoulders are bigger, I'll pull the weight and you just walk next to me and let me make the decisions and let me determine the course direction that we're gonna walk in this field or in this path or in your life. And he says, by doing that, your burden becomes lighter. And this is what he also says. He says, I want you to learn from me. In other words, this life, we have to learn some new things. We have to learn how to live life differently. We have to learn what's more important. We have to learn values. We have to learn some practices. We have to learn some things that we've never learned. And this is, man, this is so fascinating to me as I'm reading this. Have you walked by people that are driving their animals in a pasture and they're driving them hard and the animals are just can barely breathe and the task is just... Jesus says, I'm gentle. 
and I'm humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. My big idea and the thing that has stuck with me so much as I've been processing this ever since I've, I've, I've been talking about the scripture and thinking about it in my mind. And this is what I want you to remember, that Jesus takes responsibility for the one yielding to his authority. I want to say that again. Jesus takes responsibility for the one yielding to his authority. Now, notice he doesn't say, you should, or I'm going to force. No, 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 no. He's just saying, hey, you know what? You don't have to. If you want to carry your burdens all by yourself, he gives us that option. But he says, if you want to, come to me and yield to me and allow me to determine the decisions of your life and the direction of your life. And when I live like this and when you live like this, here is the promise that he makes to us. Jesus takes responsibility for the one yielding to his authority. Period. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. Jesus said that. So I don't know how that lands with you, but for me, that's like a, that's like a deep breath. That's like when I think about my family, Jesus takes responsibility for the one who yields to his authority. When I think about my relationships, Jesus takes responsibility for the one yielding to his authority. When I think about my career, Jesus takes responsibility for the one yielding to his authority. When I think about my marriage, Jesus takes responsibility. When I think about the future of my children, Jesus takes responsibility for the one yielding to his. If I want to get married, Jesus takes responsibility for the one yielding to his authority. Why? Why is it such a powerful principle? Because we're moving in his direction and we're making his decisions. It's his party and we're just here enjoying it. So there's two things I want to challenge you to think about. And there's two challenges that I would invite you to change in your life. And these, on days when I get it right, is super helpful. And I just want to invite you to think about and consider making two changes in your life. Number one, I want to challenge you to think about making a perspective change. Everybody say that with me. Perspective change, okay? So there's two perspectives we can have when we're following Jesus, right? It's either he's serving me or I'm serving him. It's either he's serving me or I'm serving him. I, I, I believe that we can love Jesus and have a personal relationship, but we approach it as, but Jesus, you're really serving me. I mean, I believe that we can have that perspective about our relationship with Jesus. But here's what I know about he's serving me. Here's the perspective that's wrong with that. If he's serving me, then it's my plans, my agenda, my expectations, and lastly, everybody listen, my burden. All the pressure's on me to make this work. And I feel it. I feel the worry. I feel the weight. I feel the pressure. If he's serving me, I, I feel the pressure to make all this stuff happen. But if I'm serving him, it's his will. 
It's his decisions. It's his agenda. It's whatever he wants. And lastly, oh, this is great news. It's his burden. It's his burden. There are things in life that you are never supposed to carry. And I think it's a famous quote by Lou Holtz that said, it's not the weight that kills you, it's how you carry it. That is so true. There are things in life that we try to carry, and it's because we have the wrong perspective. I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of different types of leaders, and one of the, one of the by far, the biggest challenge that people have in their life is a perspective challenge. And when they can shift their perspective, they're able to shift their thinking and their behavior. We gotta make a perspective change. So I wanna invite you to do that. Second, I wanna invite you to embrace some things in your life that I think will restore mental and emotional health to your life. And I learned this from a pastor from Southern California. His name is Rick Warren, built one of the most, you know, amazing churches uh, in the world, actually. Uh, But he came up with something so powerful, and he told it, he said this 20 years ago. I remember being at his church, and we were there at a conference, and I was exhausted on many different levels and struggling with some different things. And this is what he said. He said, if you'll do these three things, it will change your life. So I want to share with you what he shared with us because I can't say anything better than what he said. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. To restore mental and emotional health to your life. Number one, I want you to divert daily. I want you to divert daily. And now, I, I know what this means, especially if you're young and married and, and you have children and it's hard to get away Parents, you get yet to kind of work with each other and figure figure out what this means. I remember I had young young uh, boys too at the same time. I remember what that was like. But find ways daily where you're getting away, where it's just you and you're going, God. It's about your decisions and your direction. Okay, I just want to spend 10, 15 minutes reminding myself, reminding my mind, reminding myself that this is about you and this is not about me. And there is something relaxing, refreshing, and recovering when we think about that. So how do you spend 10 to 15 minutes to help yourself get refreshed and refocused? Because here's what I know. If all of you took out your phones right now, and all of a sudden, for all you iPhone, uh, uh, the iPhone users, your 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 you know lo- low power mode or your ten percent battery. Here's what I know: you would be scrambling right now to go charge your phone. You just would. You'd be looking for a plug somewhere in the building, somewhere in your car. So if you had ten percent battery left, you'd be scrambling to see how you could you could charge your phone. Is your soul not worth more? So I want to challenge you to divert daily. Find 15 minutes. I do this on my way to work to set my mind right before I even walk in the office. But find something that you can listen to that restores and reminds you, God, this is about your decisions and your direction and your party. I'm just here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it, and I'm here that you, you let me show up to it. But this is about you. So divert daily. Number two, I want you to withdraw weekly. 
I want you to find times once a week, and I know if you're married, you got to work it out with your spouse. Um, you got to figure out what's best for your family. This is going to create a wonderful conversation for you and those that you love and those that you live with. But it'll help you when you withdraw weekly, when you stop, right? You stop creating. This is what God did in the book of Genesis when he created everything. Created everything in six days. On the seventh day, he stopped creating. You were designed to live in that kind of rhythm. We were designed, our bodies were designed. So find a time weekly where you withdraw weekly, where you don't send email, where you don't call, where like you put boundaries on your schedule. And for, for a lot of you, you're people pleasers because I talk to you, right? And you're going to tell somebody no. Somebody has got to be told no. Sometimes it can be our children. <sighs> but we got to tell somebody no withdraw weekly and do it for your soul. Remember what Jesus said in that second verse? He said, and you will find rest. You will find rest, not maybe, hope so. You will find rest for your souls. So divert daily. I want you to withdraw weekly. And I want you to abandon annually. Abandon annually. How many of you take at least one time a year where you get away. And there's, there's many, I, I know there's some, I know what you may be thinking, well, that takes a lot of money and that takes a lot of, well, I get that. I, I understand that. And we, and we go through seasons of our life where we're paying for college and then we're not. And, you know, I, I totally understand those types of things. But I think there's some options that we can find if we're willing to put the work in to go, how can I abandon annually? How can I find rest once a year where whatever I'm doing, and it's different for all of us because different activities give us rest. If you work with your hands, you probably need to do something with your mind. If you work with your mind a lot, you probably need to do something with your hands. But how you abandon annually is very, very important because you're going to come right back to the action. You're going to come right back to work. You're going to come right back to the stress and pressure that got you in the situation in the first place. So what are you going to do proactively to help you re-engage the way God wants you to. And here's what, here's what I know. To divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually doesn't happen living in reactionary mode. It just doesn't. It doesn't happen in, hey, let's just see how this goes. That doesn't happen. It happens when you put it on your calendar. And it happens when you go, is is as badly as I would plug my phone in because I don't want it to die. My soul needs more care than that. So what does that look like for you to divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually? Imagine what we would feel like. Imagine what your families would feel like, the tone and the feel in your home. Imagine what what it would feel like at the office if people practiced this and we respected boundaries. Imagine how much better we would feel and how much healthier perception and the mental and emotional fatigue that we wouldn't have if we could develop some new disciplines, practice some new things, and see what God does. And here's the final thing that just, I think, makes me excited. Jesus didn't say, I think this will work. I hope this will work. You should try this. He said, it 
will work. So my challenge for you, a challenge for you if you're watching, is are you going to let Jesus have authority over your decisions and the direction in your life? Because the question is, if you do, and he's not going to force you, he's not going to make you, he's not going to yell at you, he quietly invites you. He quietly invites you and he promises that if we do, we will find rest. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for my friends that are with me today. And God, you know uh, how emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted that we feel. And how we push ourselves beyond lots of limits that we know we shouldn't. Some of us are carrying burdens right now that are extremely painful. And we feel confused. We don't know what to do. We feel like we've hit a wall. We've been triggered for quite a while. We're just exhausted. And everywhere we turn, somebody is wanting something from us. And God, I just pray that you have made a promise and an invitation to us in your word today. And you have said, come, I invite you. And God, I pray that we would give you leadership over the decisions and the direction of our life. And when we do, you promise that you will give us rest. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.